there's a lot of history uh, in that song, and it's um, amazing how songs will connect us to things that we remember, uh, sometimes some wonderful memories, sometimes some sad memories, sometimes in-between memories, sometimes just a memory. And these are days that memories are going to be made, and I hope that these memories, as difficult as they may be, will be memories that in the days, weeks, months, and perhaps years future will be ones that we can look on in retrospect and really be appreciative to the greatness of God. I know I was uh, sitting just right behind the camera, just going through one thing after another after another, you know, this song is, is uh, really declaring not only the greatness of God, but why he's great, and the, the covering of my sin and your sin by what Jesus did on the cross is just amazing. And we have this um, opportunity to, even in these days of social distancing, to really declare the greatness of God and to remember just the significance of the gift that's given to us. Wanted to have a couple of encouraging things just right off the bat, and it might seem to be a small thing to you, but I was at my son and daughter's home and saying hi to the grandkids, and and we were in their neighborhood, and it was one of those warmer days that we had. I don't know about at your house, but my thermostat, my digital thermostat, said 81. I think we went up to 83 yesterday, and. <laughs> We'll be probably 50 and maybe have snow before um, May it comes through. It's just crazy. But uh, there were some folks walking in the neighborhood because the weather was good. And they smiled and waved. And I love to do that anyway. I love to wave at people if only just to make them uncomfortable. It's like, do I know you kind of a thing. But um, to have that kind of interaction, you know, in the midst of all of this, this social distancing thing just was a real encouragement to me. And so smile and wave at somebody and you, you don't have to go up and lick them you can just say hello and you know even if you're 20 feet away and and smile it just it made my day it, it really did uh, I also had um, a friend I had this uh, truck that's like this constant problem and I was on on my way to actually a men's gathering breakfast and it just died it shuddered it it was just terrible I pulled it off the side of the road had it towed I was done so uh, a friend of mine said, no, 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 bring it to my house. Bring it. I'll, I'll look at it. It's like, dude, this truck is done. I'm done with it. I'm not spending more money on it. And uh, we, we've called it Rusty because it's uh, very much a rusty truck. And so now we're calling it Lazarus uh, because my friend raised it from the dead. And uh, so I said, man, I, I said, I feel bad. You know, you're working on my truck. And you know, he said, what else am I going to do? And so I just want to encourage you. Um, maybe you have somebody in your life that you can do something in this time when you don't have anything else to do or you're tempted to just sit in front of the television binge watch something that you really won't care about in a year or two or three um, to be creative and how humbled I am that somebody would have been creative with my uh, rusted it out old farm truck and to actually take the time to try to figure out what was the matter with it and once again raise it from the dead so We'll see. So if you see me on the side of the road with the rusty old red truck, you, you know it's just another iteration <laughs> in my history. Well, let's uh, pray together and uh, just declare how the greatness of God in these days, in these difficult days, and really look for those opportunities that we can to really bless each other. Father, thank you so much for the receipt of gifts that I have had this past week in the midst of all 
the tumult at work and the difficulty in, in managing relationships that are distanced and just the difficulty of, of the day, Lord, that uh, a big grin and a, a hearty wave just really made the day. A friend who said, let me take a shot at it, Lord, just really made the day. Lord, while these memories may fade, Father, the, the joy of being recipient of them cannot. And Lord, I pray that every single person who belongs to you would be seeking these opportunities to really grace those in their life, whether it be through a smile, through a wave, through doing something in, this, in what we now have as quote-unquote spare time just to bless somebody else, that God, that you would just do what only you can do through us and that people would know of your great love, how great it is because we're faithful. I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. As a congregation, Highland Hills worked through 40 Days in the Word, which is a Rick Warren study, and, and spent week, week, week really looking at different ways of studying God's Word. And so now we're in the, the memorization part of it, and I hope that you all worked on John 3.16. Uh, you can pop in on Facebook and say, yeah, I know that one. Um, but we're going to go to the very next uh, verse, and we'll remind you of, of that uh, via electronic media tomorrow so that you can be working on that in the week to come. But we've been looking at the character of Jesus. We're doing one of the further studies of, of looking at the character of, of who Jesus is. And so we've looked at, you know, the, his humility, his compassion, his, his determination, and we're going to look today at his faithfulness. And really want to keep this very much straightforward for us. And the passage I'm going to read is a little bit longer one. It's in Mark, the 14th chapter. And, and we're going to just work through how Jesus prepared his followers as well as himself for the days that were to come. And, well, really hours that were to come as he is quickly approaching the time of his crucifixion to where he took the sin of the entire world upon himself. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, turn them on, find Mark, the 14th chapter. I'm going to begin to read the 12th verse. I'm going to just point out some just basic connections throughout Scripture because that's part of the whole character study um, passage, but really focusing on, on who Jesus is and why he's worthy of celebrating even to this very day. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciple asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you shall prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12 disciples, and as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? Now, this is going to be off topic, so I'm, I'm not going to come back to this one and just stop right here. 
I find it interesting in the midst of all their self-delusion and the disciples were full of self-delusions that this was one thing that they were very much concerned about that the press of the culture the press of the time and even the limited knowledge that they have of their own character they would ask the question am I the one that's going to betray you that one always sticks with me whenever I read this passage because I know in my own life I've betrayed Christ so many times and I could really empathize with these followers of, of Jesus of, of understanding themselves and their character and their lack of power enough to know that it's just one decision between being faithful and betraying somebody. Jesus replied, verse 20, it is one of you 12 who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he'd never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 27, on, that, on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others bowed the same. So today I want to talk about Jesus' faithfulness. Um, it's one thing to be faithful to an organization or faithful to an individual or faithful for, to a cause that has at its end some great reward. It's something completely different to be faithful to an organization or a cause or an individual you know is going to fail. Think about it. If, if, if you are going to work tomorrow or maybe even today, knowing that you weren't going to get paid because your organization was going to be failed and you're on the bottom of the list and you're not going to get a paycheck. How'd you feel about that? If you knew that you were connecting with somebody that was going to just turn right back around and gossip about you or stab you in the back or whatever, how would you feel about that? If you knew that their effort that you made toward accomplishing something was going to end in that thing not being done, period, it was not going to happen, how would you feel about that? And we see all of these things as reality in Jesus' life. He knows that the ones that are saying, hey, we are there, even if we have to die, we're with you. Not going to happen. He, he knows that the whole thing that has been happening with his followers isn't going to be fulfilled in the way they, they expect. It's going to be something far greater than that. And yet he is faithful and he continues on. So I want to break apart this passage connected to um, some passages in, in the Old Testament and just 
hopefully give you a sense of the great depth of Jesus' faithfulness, particularly in these days where we're having to deal with lots of things being upside down, topsy-turvy, and quite frankly, just not understandable. The very first thing I wanted to share with you is that Jesus was faithful to his history. And this is one that, this is a big, big point. I'm glad it came first because it's a big, big point. Oftentimes, people who are used to the scriptural stories will just see this and say, okay, yeah, you know, it's the Passover, blah, blah, blah. But I, w- I want us to really consider this together for a, a few moments, just the importance of this history and Jesus's involvement in it. The Passover was an annual festival and annual celebration of the Jews for centuries before Jesus was born. And the whole observation came from their rescue from slavery. The the Hebrew nation had moved to a place because there was a famine at their homeland. And so they they were refugees. They were relocated to a place to where they could find food to eat. And rather than returning to their homeland when the famine was over, they said, hey, we got a pretty good deal here, and, they, and then he stuck around. Well, they became, over a period of time, hundreds of years, from they transitioned from guests into slaves. And so while they're, they had enough to eat, they were involved in forced labor in Egypt, and they ha- had lost their freedom over that period of time. Lots could be said about that, but well, I'm going to skip, skip forward to just really the, the point. God sent a, a man by the name of Moses who was flawed as, as an individual, but he sent a man named Moses to tell the king of Egypt, the pharaohs, to, to let God's people go. And there was a series of plagues that happened, and at the end of that series of plagues, the time was right, it was perfect because it was God's timing. It was time for them to leave to escape. But before that happened, there was a judgment that was laid on Egypt. And that judgment was the death of the firstborn. And it was applied to everyone in the area. And the only exemption from that death was being covered by the blood. And what blood is that? It was the blood of a lamb that was sacrificed. And this was the the central part of this meal was this lamb that was sacrificed. When the the lamb was slaughtered to be prepared to eat, uh, the blood was collected and it was put on the sides of the doors and, uh, and above the door. And so that household, the entry to that household was literally covered by the blood. And so those that were not covered by the blood, they suffered that death. And those that were covered by that blood, they were exempted from that death. And so it is in this context that the story of Jesus's own shedding of blood is being told. And so there's this deep history of God's redemption through blood. And so it comes, the, the story's found in the Exodus, and uh, the first 12 chapters are, are really necessary to read to get the whole sense of the story. And then you can read on the way through chapter 20 in particular that gives you the, the fullness of that movement out of slavery into freedom and to really become a nation. But it's all centered around redeeming the one that was a slave and making that person a free person and that the the chosen method for doing that was sacrifice and the covering of the blood and so jesus allows this faithfulness to happen he knows that he's going to be that lamb 
He knows that it's going to be his blood that's going to be shed. But he remains faithful to his history. In this, in this time when there's things changing, changing, changing constantly, you know, some people want to just get stuck in tradition and in history. And somebody, some people just want to get rid of it all and just be in the, in the, in the, in the moment. And I believe that there is a space in between those two that is really, really important to occupy. To understand, particularly for the Christian, what God's doing through history, but also to be able to uh, engage what's going on at the present moment. And that's what we really see Jesus doing. He doesn't abandon what is in the past because he knows he's going to supersede it by himself on the cross, but he connects it too. And that's something that I, I hope that we as a culture can do is to take the things that are important from our history, from our past, and bring those forward to connect it into what God's doing in this very present moment at this time. And we see Jesus really being faithful to that. There's all sorts of little tidbits uh, that, that I love to, to talk about, you know, um, the, the disciples that are, that, are, that are making the way that this reads seem to be somebody other than the 12. You know, maybe it's the women that have been ministering to those disciples as Jesus moves from place to place, uh, but they're included. Uh, Jesus shows up with the 12 later on, as, as we see in the passage. There's this, this, this real inclusivity of this, in this whole thing, uh, this whole observance that I think it's oftentimes overlooked. And the ones that are specifically addressed are not the ones that are on the periphery. There are ones that are in the core, and those are the ones that are going to end up be betraying Christ. So there's a lot of just paradoxical things that are, make this passage just really, really rich. And, and one of the things I wanted to point out is beyond Jesus' faithfulness to the history, God's redemptive working to rescue people out of slavery um, through the blood, and that happens over and over and over again through Jewish history, the, and that celebration is done every every year, is also the faithfulness to friendships. I don't think there's very many people in this world that have had friends that have not abandoned them at one point or another. Maybe it was somebody in middle school. That's a great time to have friends that kind of go south on you. I don't know if you remember middle school. I do. Uh, that's that's pretty pretty easy target to hit. Uh, maybe it's something somebody recent. Maybe it's a spouse um, that was a friend at one time and ended up becoming an enemy. There's that's a pretty common human experience to have a friendship that goes belly up because of lack of faithfulness, lack of fidelity. We see the exact opposite in Jesus here. We see that he he knows that they're not going to keep their end of the deal, not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, they're making it worse by making promises that he knows that they're not going to keep, like today. And yet, he remains faithful to them. And I think that, I love that Ken chose to, to play how great they are, and you know, Kathy encouraged him to do that, you know, because that really demonstrates the greatness of God, knowing that we as his friends are going to abandon him. Y'all are watching on Facebook. I, this just kind of occurred to me. You could defriend me right now. And it's happened. <laughs> it's just a click of a button. So, yeah. That just kind of popped in my head. This, um, this is all new, new for me. So, um, Jesus knows this is going to happen. They're, they're going to defriend him, like, in, the, in just a few hours. And yet, he remains faithful to them. 
And that, that, that friendship is, is defined by Jesus' own words. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this. And if you know Jesus is saying, you know how that ends. Then he give up his life for his friends. He give up his life for them. And so Jesus knows he's going to be keeping up. He's faithful to his friendships. And I want you to know that no matter where you're at in your life, whether you're experiencing financial difficulties, you're experiencing health difficulties, relational difficulties, um, you're just experiencing cultural difficulties, which we all seem to be experiencing right now, um, he is faithful on his end. And he invites us to be faithful on our end, knowing that we may defriend him at some point of crisis, at some point of frustration, at some point of distraction, whatever. He is faithful. And that just speaks so deeply to the character of the one that I call Lord and Savior. He's faithful to his friendships to the point of being faithful to betrayal. I spoke to this last week, and I, I can't help to return because it's such a, a core part of the story. The ability to be available to be betrayed is something that is really, really difficult to process. You know, how can an individual, even if he is God, lean into being betrayed? For most of us as human beings, it's one of the things that we fear the most, that we will be um, somehow left alone at our moment of need, somehow exposed at our greatest level of, of embarrassment, you know, that, that there's going to be betrayal. And there's lots of stories. There's whole television shows that are just about that one character trait of our ability as human beings to betray each other. And here's the one who knows everything, that knows the thoughts of our hearts, the intent of our emotions, all of those things, and knows that, that these ones who have seen him walk on water, who've seen him feed thousands with just a few pucks of bread and some little fish, who have seen him release from spiritual oppression, demonic possession, those that are literally bound, and has seen even the one who was torn by chains released from those things who've seen the the dead raised to have seen the the blind made able to see the those unable to speak to be able to speak have witnessed all of these things i mean they they've been there they've seen it and they are going to run and he's faithful to be who he is knowing what they're going to do and that also really both gives my heart just the advantage of my heart sinks in, in me this and also gives me great encouragement because i know that there's nothing that i can do that is going to be beyond his faithfulness and uh, that is just amazing to me because i know that as a human being i'm no better than these human beings that witnessed all these things and i've seen so many things in my own fellowship of jesus that are amazing and yet that temptation to turn and run is just as real for me as it is as it was for for them but he's still available for that he's faithful to that and he even connects it to to scripture and says okay this is a fulfillment you know, i don't know if you said god will strike the shepherd but the sheep will be scattered and he says listen this is part of it and i'm gonna be faithful through that and 
the flip side of that, the other thing that I wanted to, to just share, and this is a point of, of application for us, is that very same faithfulness now is in us. And so now when we are tempted to be faithless, because of God's presence by the Holy Spirit in us, we have the ability to say, I will be faithful. You know, Peter's relationship was different. The other 11, their relationship was different. We have that spirit in us now by the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a greater strength, I believe, than they had. We have a greater momentum than they have to remain faithful because the faithful one is in us. And so when it seems like there is no other option than to run, we know that that's not the case. We know that because he did not run when he was going to be betrayed and he remained faithful to his friendships, that we can do that very same thing. And I find that deeply, deeply encouraging as well. Not only was he faithful to betrayal, but he, he went beyond that. He was also faithful to the sacrifice. And these things are, are things that I've considered for many, many years. And I, I've got some, got some opinions. And so, you know, just please take these as my understandings. And I've called them in history uh, Bob's Brackets. Uh, but they're, they're, they're well-formed thoughts. And I, I hope that they're encouraging uh, to you. There's some things about the elements of what Jesus chose to use in demonstrating his sacrifice to his followers before it actually happened that I think that are worthy of deep consideration. Jesus uses basic elements, things that even the poorest could use. And I, I think that that was very much intentional. Um, the lamb that was going to be sacrificed, that was precious. Not everybody in Jesus' time had access to that. In fact, that was one of the ways culturally that you could be a good person it was by inviting somebody that did not have access to a lamb because they were too poor to get it to come to share the Passover celebration with you. That was like, that was like an extraordinary thing that you could do. And, and I hope that I don't get too far in the weeds with this because I've really thought about this a long, long time. Jesus didn't use that. You know, now he's going to be the, he's that lamb. And you would think that if, if that's what he wanted to, to illustrate that he would have used that, that precious piece of sacrifice. No, he took bread, something that was very common. And he broke that and he gave it to them. And there's lots of layers of cultural significance to that. I mean, it was normal. I, I know for us, you know, right now we're thinking, oh my gosh, she's passing germs, you know. <laughs> it's just, and yeah, he was passing germs. And they all passed germs in, in between them. But that, that, that sharing of a single loaf was something that was very much of an expression of community. And I, I know that the way that we celebrate communion now, we have our individual little pieces of bread, and that's really how we, we do it in all sorts of different faith traditions. And every time that we do that, I, I, my heart kind of sinks because it really limits the picture that Jesus began because it was from one loaf. It was his body. He said, this is my body broken for you. And so all of them share in that. They all get this piece of that. And... As the generations have come, I just think about this, is this, this, this incredibly simple element available to everyone. It's the basic, you know, around the world, you, you have that, that bread thing. 
so it can be translated from culture to culture to culture, um, is being shared by Christ. And so it, it also harkens back to you know, the feeding of the 5,000 where there wasn't enough and he broke it and he just kept on going and going and going and going. Well, here we have the very same thing. You know, there, there isn't enough, but yet the brokenness of Christ, his body has been multiplied and multiplied and multiplied in effect of grace by the millions and tens of millions and hundred millions and billions. And, and, and so there's just, there's a, just some deep significance in that. And so he breaks and they all share. And then, then uh, he takes the cup and there have been Jewish people who have, have, have really helped Christians to understand. In fact, some of them have um, embraced Christ as their Messiah and have given me a deeper understanding of this. In the Passover meal, there was a sequence of cups that were taken and you know they, they were shared and each one of these cups had a different significance and it's worth um, really investigating and uh, to understand and no one knows kind of where in the meal observance this was but the image is definitely clear you know, there, there's there's that cup of wrath and there's also that 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 wine is that is that color of of, of blood shed, particularly blood that's been shed and dried, um, that is that is there. And and Jesus says, "This is my blood of the new covenant." And he brings back again this image way back from the Exodus of the Passover celebration. They're still in this context that that God had made a commitment to His people. That, that he was going to rescue them, and he was going to make it happen by his own will. They weren't going to do it. He was going to do it. And we see this over and over and over in the story of the Exodus. You know, they immediately run into a roadblock called a sea. God parts it, gets them through it, saves them from the armies, then feeds them in the desert. I mean, all this stuff that goes on. And like I said, you can read the Exodus. It's um, second section in the, in the Bible right after Genesis. But it, it, it really goes back to that that all was started, that, that, that real release was started in the shedding of blood. And then Jesus says in verse 24, this is my blood which confirms the covenant, which is the covenant between God and his people, is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Now they all drink from it, they don't pour it on the ground. But why is Jesus talking about it being poured out? Because that's what his blood's going to be. There's been lots of uh, theatrical depictions of Jesus' crucifixion. Some of them very respectful. Some of them very much quite the opposite. But one of the things that is common amongst the irreverent to the very respectful is the brutality on, that Jesus endured. Many of us think about Jesus' blood on the cross you know, because that's kind of the focus for Christianity is on the cross. But I, I really want to offer you a, a, a bigger understanding of, of the history, and I want, want you to consider this. Jesus says this blood's going to be poured out, and it wasn't just poured out at the cross, was it? You know, it is quite probable that when Jesus was pounded in the face by the, by the guards that were keeping him, he bled. It is absolutely assured 
that when the crown of thorns was crafted and shoved down on his head and they even beat it with sticks, that he bled. And so that first knock to his face where the blood would go out from his lip being split open becomes blood poured out. Those drips that would go from his head. I don't know if you ever, I'm, I'm bald and when I found out about, uh, I learned this from my dad actually because he was bald and like 20 years old. Bald guys have something with mashing their head into stuff. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's like there's hair is like a protection. And so once that hair was gone, I'm, I'm finding myself just whacking into stuff all the time with my head. And I found out because of that that heads bleed really, really well. And so even a little cut is just like a big deal. And I cannot imagine having those thorns pounded in and just the amount of blood that was dripping down his beard onto the ground. This is before he's even flogged. That alone would have created a, a bloodshed that would have been immense. And so here we have from the first strike, perhaps, definitely from the crown of thorns, most certainly through the flogging, blood being poured out. And, and think about this, folks. They didn't put Jesus in the ambulance and take him to be crucified. They gave him a crossbeam and told him to walk it. And there was significance to that. It was a confession that the person was a condemned criminal. It has everything to do with what Jesus said. If you want to be a follower of mine, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross. What that means is that you are publicly identifying yourself as a condemned criminal. And every person that needs to be a follower of Jesus Christ cannot come into the kingdom saying, you know, I'm a good person and, you know, God loves me. So guess what? I'm good. So I'm, you know, I'll, I'll believe in Jesus. This is great. No, Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you've got to identify yourself with a condemned criminal. That's what he did. And so he's carrying this beam and they send him on a march, a death march. And it's not down the, the nicely cleaned halls of a prison. It's through the city. And so every step, I can just imagine, there's blood dripping from him. His feet are leaving bloody footprints, literally being poured out. And he's faithful to that level of sacrifice. I mean, just consider this. Some of us have given blood so that we can help other people that need it. How would you feel if your very life, if, if you're at that that blood bank or you're at that mobile place and they took that blood out of you and then they threw it out into the parking lot and somebody ran over it and then they said no no you can't leave we're going to get some more no no you can't leave and they just kept on doing that kept on doing that kept doing that that's not too far removed from what jesus did for us that's the level of sacrifice there are people that walk behind him that the dust covered up his bloody drips. And that's all before he got to the cross. Then, then there's the cross. And then he's, he's on the cross. And they're mocking his life literally being drained down. I don't know how much was even left by the time he got there. But his blood is poured out. We tend to kind of separate this little piece of Jesus' confession of what he's faithful to from the reality that it, that it reflects. And then there's, there's this odd little insertion in verse 26. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. 
I always understood this one way. You know, it, it was a funeral dirge. And some of you that are very much into contemporary music, you think that any hymn is a funeral dirge. <laughs> you know, it's just, that's the way it is, you know. And, and so a lot of people that, you know, when they've read this verse, they have this idea of this, you know, this like bunch of monks, you know, with their heads covered, you know, uh, you know walking up a hill. I found out in, in, in research that it was likely that this hymn that they sang was actually a fight song. Because the whole context of the Passover was being released from captivity, of achieving freedom. And so this was one of those big, robust, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, Philip Sousa kind of stuff. And, and I, it just, when I, when I read that and I started looking at cross-referencing and seeing, you know, if this is indeed the case. And, you know, there's several psalms that are, that are referenced and they're all victory psalms. And, and I, I'm just trying to think of, of how does somebody that's going to endure this kind of death not tell everybody just shut up? You know, it's like, we're not singing this song now. You know, you can sing this song after the resurrection, but we're not singing this song now. But Jesus was faithful in the celebration. If they did indeed sing this song, which it seems to indicate that that's exactly what they did, they sang this big song. And for those of you that are online, please do look up Philip Sousa so you know what I was talking about. So, um, you know, it, it's this, this grand celebration, this grand celebration. And he was faithful to celebrate even knowing the sacrifice that was going to happen. This blows me away. I, it just blows me away. And it's also connected back to scripture. In the, in, in the Old Testament, there's a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, he gets caught with really bad intelligence. And there's an opposing army that is like on the doorstep. And his folks walk in and he said, hey, we're being attacked. And, you know, at that time, you, know, you didn't have jets and, you know, tanks and those kinds of things. People had to walk. They had to ride horses. I mean, it made a big mess. I mean, you knew when somebody was coming and nobody told him. And so there was nothing that could be done. There was no way even to get the armies because everybody else had to walk to so that we could have a battle. There was just not enough time. And so he did what he could only do. He went to his people and he confessed to them. He said, listen, we are caught with our pants down around our ankles. We can't defend ourselves. And so we can only appeal to the God who can defend us. That's the only thing we can do. And so... Uh, they, they fast, they pray, they ask for God's uh, mercy, and word comes, this is the way it's going to happen. They're going to go out, and they're going to meet a far superior force with somebody who's just going to get killed. I mean, that's just the way it is. But the way that they're going to do it is they're going to send a choir out first. You know, I, was, I, I love that. I've had so much fun with that over the years in the church choirs. You know, who's going to get slaughtered first? It's going to be the choir, <laughs> And so, but they go out and they're singing that victory celebration. And so when the choir is there, having sang those victory songs all the way to that place where the battle is supposed to be happening, they, they come over the ridge and, and I can only imagine the kind of things that they're sing, thinking about and how the song's getting quieter and quieter and quieter. It's like, we really don't want them to know we're coming. Um, but they're still singing and they come over and they find out the battle's already won. God's taking care of it. I cannot help but to think that this verse is a nod to that one way back in the Old Testament. That 
Jesus is able to allow his followers, and maybe even joined in singing the victory song, because he, although he knows what he's going to go through, he also knows that the battle's already won, because that's who he is. He's the God who already wins the battles. And so when his disciples finally figure it all out, which is going to be days later, sort of, and they're still figuring it out to this very day, the song that they sang of victory is very much appropriate. So anyway, he was faithful to the celebration. And then lastly, he was faithful to be abandoned. It's one thing to be betrayed. You know, we can get over that sometimes. It's another thing to be abandoned. There are people who have spent years in therapy because a mom abandoned them or a dad abandoned them, a friend abandoned them, and just been so devastated by that experience and had to work through and unpack just the emotional damage of that. Abandonment goes beyond betrayal. We know I, I did my graduate work in education, and my focus was early childhood development. And one of the things I learned about early childhood development is that there's certain human interactions that every human being needs to have very early. And if we don't have those interactions, if we are abandoned, it literally changes everything about our physiology, about our psychology, and it's incredibly difficult to overcome. And some persons are not, are not able, barring a miracle of God, to overcome those things. Because there's so much that has changed in those first uh, couple of months and in, in, indeed the first two years of, uh, of life. Abandonment is huge, huge, cannot be diminished in any way. And yet Jesus is faithful even to that. He's faithful to be abandoned. These ones who are declaring heartily, they've just sang the victory song, they're there, they're, they're feeling great, they know that they're what the one who's commanded the sea and the wind to go quiet. It's all done. You know, they're confident in him. And because they're confident in Christ, they're confident in themselves. And he knows that he's going to be abandoned, even by the one who gets right up in his face and says, listen, even if I have to die with you, because he's just said, I'm going to, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to abandon you. And he looks him right back in the face to Peter and says, listen, before the rooster crows twice, you deny me three times. In this culture at the time, a threefold statement is the, the highest superlative. Okay. I talked about this uh, several weeks ago, about the only superlative about holiness is God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They did not have a way in their language to, you know, we have lots of ways to, to express superlatives. I mean, if uh, you, you can be homely, and that's, you know, that's a description. But if you're really homely, then you're very homely. And if you're, you know, so you just kind of keep on adding on descriptives and that, that kind of thing. Well, in the, that particular culture at the time, what they do is they would just repeat the same descriptor. And that would, each repetition would be, it's like a triple dog dare. I mean, where do you go? You know, quadruple dog dare? No, it's not a thing. Triple dog dare is as far as you can go. Well, this triple at this time is a long history the holiness of god his specialness his incredibleness is unique only to him when you would deny somebody three times that means it couldn't be undone and so what jesus is telling peter is the the level of your abandonment is going to be to the extreme it can't be undone you can't go one step beyond that he was faithful to it 
I love um, what Jesus says in John 13, going into John 14. Um, that is one of the most angering chapter divisions in all of the Bible in my mind. I encourage you to look it up because it's all one conversation. And Jesus is telling Peter, in fact, uh, I'm going to just I'm gonna go to it right, right, right now. Uh, so the end of John 13. Um, verse 37, Peter's having this very same conversation. John's recording. He says, why can't I come now, Lord? He asks, I'm ready to die for you. Verse 38, chapter 13 of John, Jesus answers, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's the same conversation. Jesus is faithful to be abandoned. And then he tells them again what only he could do. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God and trust in me also. There's more than enough room in my father's home. And so what Jesus is saying is you're going to run, but I'm going to run after you. And I'm going to make sure that you have a place that when you have finally found that repentance, that you have a place with me. That's faithfulness. And he does that. Many times John 14 is separated. In fact, almost always it's separated from the end of John 13. There's no context. In fact, John 14 becomes you know, one of those nice things that preachers say at funerals. You know, you're finally in a better place. That's not the context at all of the passage. It's Jesus' faithfulness and abandonment. He said, don't be troubled. You are going to go to the absolute extreme to reject me. But believe God. Believe me. I got a place for you. And so that's really where I want to end up with you today. He is faithful. And he's faithful to you now. In the midst of social distancing, in the midst of sickness, um, with these cases becoming more and more prevalent. We've gone from this is happening to somebody in China to this is happening to somebody someplace else to this is happening to somebody I know. And so that, that transition is happening very quickly. I think more than now, more now than yesterday or last week or the week before, we have this opportunity to really understand the depth, the level of Jesus' faithfulness. And so I'm going to encourage you. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to remember how faithful he is to you. Be honest with yourself about your faithfulness to him. But right now, I really want to focus on his faithfulness to you. He's going to see you through whatever happens. He promises. And he's done it. We have history. We started there. He is that great. And so you need to be confident in that. And you need to respond to what's going on in your world out of that confidence. If you're not a follower of Christ and you've popped in for whatever reason, I want to give witness to you, testimony to you. This is the one that we serve. This is Jesus. He is that faithful. And if you didn't catch this whole thing, go back and rewind it. Not because I've got all these great things to say, but because I'm telling the great story. He is that faithful. And he's faithfully offered to you every moment of your life his forgiveness, his revolution of your heart that is dead into being a live one, his presence of his spirit within you, which is something that I don't understand, but I know has happened, and eternity with him and his faithfulness all the way through.
I'm encourage you to surrender to that faithfulness, to take up that cross and say, you know, I am a condemned individual. I will die. And to receive the gift that Jesus is offering you, his authority now, his forgiveness now, and eternity with him forever and ever. We weren't made to end. We were made to live. And this is what God wants to do in your life now. And so thank you for um, popping in. Thank you for the few that have helped us to be here. And, and this is kind of always a strange environment. But I, I just want to uh, just pray over you and, and ask that you really, really enjoy what God is going to, to do because he's faithful in a moment's time. For those that are brand new, that you get to enjoy that relationship with God in Christ Jesus and for those that have been following him maybe for weeks, months, years, decades, that you just remember the absolute immensity of his faithfulness. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to give these truths, Lord, to the few that are gathered here and to the however many that will get to see it online. Lord, these are just words, but you are the faithful one and I thank you that that is who you are. So you've proven to be over and over again, year in and year out. While we've declared you dead in the 50s and 60s, while we've ignored your rules in the 60s and 70s, while we've abandoned your structures in the 80s and 90s, while we continue to diminish who you are in, a, in place of our own discovery, you are faithful. God, I just thank you so much for that. Thank you for your love. Father, for those that are beginning their relationship with you right now, God, I thank you that you've extended that gift to them. Lord, for the Christians who are just being shook awake from their slumber, to remember just how incredible you are, how great you are. God, that that would not fall back away, but Lord, that we would become more and more passionate each day for just declaring the goodness, the faithfulness, of the one who has demonstrated that over and again over the years. Lord, do great things even in these days and because of these days. We beg of you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to come and to close this.